0: South connection podcast network happy saturday if you're listening live or happy whatever day it ends up being when you do check out this uh, show and hey if you're here listening to this show at all i just want to say thank you my name is johnny c uh, i'm here to present to you a fun little concept that i've been kind of cooking up and trying to get out there into the ether we're calling it johnny c in the multiverse of fabulousness it's going to be a show where we sort of uh get to play fantasy whatever it is we want to be which i think is kind of the definition of fantasy to begin with but uh, i don't want to be redundant so we're here today uh, and we're kind of kind of pretending with our initial kickoff here that uh you know the multiverse is real uh i don't know that it is i would love to believe there's another version of johnny c out there who's a lot cooler and more successful than me Um, just the same way I'd like to imagine that there's hundreds of different versions of Spider-Man and Batman, but I guess that's just the nerd in me talking. But, uh, what we're gonna be doing here is, uh, you know, most, most shows or comics or movies or nonsense that deal with the multiverse, they kind of look at it in a kind of a simple way, and it's basically, we live on Earth Zero, sometimes called Earth One, I guess whatever the the author or director is, is wanting to call it at the time. And basically, there are an infinite number of Earths that are kind of like the Earth that we live on, uh, but with minor differences. I know famously, uh, there's an awesome comic story called Superman Red Sun, where basically the uh, the rocket from Krypton lands in the Soviet Union, and uh, instead of aspiring to truth, justice, and the American way as it used to be, or truth, justice, and a better tomorrow as it is now, which I think is quite fitting, regardless of how you made me feel on that, uh, he grows up and kind of, you know, fights for Soviet Russia. And Soviet Russia, man is super! That's a really dated, probably offensive reference, but I'm going to leave it in anyway because it reminds me of The Simpsons. So, you know, you got Superman uh, uh, with the uh, the hammer and sickle instead of the House of Elk Crest, and, and, you know, go from there. Rinse and repeat. You could do a hundred different versions of these. There's, there's a really cool one where uh, the... Rocket from Krypton lands in Gotham City and little Bruce Wayne, who is actually Kal-El, watches Thomas and Martha get gunned down and becomes Batman, but with all the powers of Superman, yada, yada, yada. So what we're going to be focusing on is what I'm calling Earth Croc, which is a loving nod to Jim Crockett Productions. And, And we're going to be pretending that somehow Vince McMahon Jr. never came to control of the World Wrestling Federation. And it kind of just went the way of the dodo. And uh, the NWA, WCW, not the way the Dodo, just wasn't as popular. I don't want to erase it completely from the books. But for some reason, some way, somehow, WCW, NWA, Jim Crockett Productions came up with the concept of WrestleMania. And they've been just trucking forward ever since. And they're going to be putting on a spectacular unlike any other. They're calling it the ultimate challenge. Uh, It's WrestleMania 6, April 1st, 1990, live. From the Sky Dome in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I don't know that they, uh, you know, were necessarily the type of company at that time in 1990 that would have played up in uh, the Sky Dome. But like I said, we're going to assume that WCW has had this awesome, blazing pack of success of five WrestleManias previously, uh, and they're all the way ready for number six. And that's sort of the template we're using today. You know, in, in the in the future, I'd love to explore different types of concepts just for anyone that's interested in this. Um, You know, I've got a fun idea where we sort of pretend that the Justice League is full of pro wrestlers instead of superheroes and just stupid shit like that. Just fun stuff where we can uh make some lists, which are a lot of fun to do, and just sort of pretend and shoot for the stars and, uh you know, but also try to stay within the realms of realism, which is something I've strived towards. I did a little research and I, I pulled the NWA WCW roster from April of 1990. And the rules that I gave myself were kind of twofold. Number one, use the roster that's in place uh, to the best of the way that you can. And number two, try to capture the spiritual rationalization that uh, Vince and company used at WrestleMania six. Did they do a, a, you know, is a match that we're changing still a, basically a job match or a showcase match for someone? Uh, you know, we all know the first match of WrestleMania six is. It was pretty much a showcase for the heel in that match, which we'll get into, and won't spoil anything ahead of time. So, I tried to make sure that it was sort of equal. You know, find two wrestlers of equal or lesser, somewhat greater value on the WCW roster and put them in place of who WWF used at the actual WrestleMania six. So it was a lot of fun. A lot of different configurations were used. Um You know, so hopefully it it all makes sense and we all have a good time along the way. Now, where does one start when talking about WrestleMania 6 and particularly this alternate WCW WrestleMania 6? Well, upon further examination, the galaxies of space, images begin to appear. Images like, ah, I can't tell you who the images are of because it would spoil the main event. So... For this opening, let's imagine, you know, we've got some really awful shots of space because it's 1990 and this is still WCW after all. Maybe there's like a WTBS satellite, you know, circling the Earth, broadcasting these larger-than-life uh, video wall, titantron size images of, like, the Road Warriors and Sting and Lex Luger and you know the great muta rick flair the horseman all these people and you know it's just sort of a generic intro and then eventually the the uh, the, the ultimate challenge is time to explode but who would do it if Vince isn't doing it would it be jr you know upon further examination the galaxy's a splash i start to see things king oh, it wouldn't be king though but talking about jr we'll pivot to that gorilla and jesse irreplaceable but on earth croc you know it's not an option. So we've got good old JR, before he was JR, Jim Ross calling the action, along with Paul E. Dangerously. I think it's an underrated announced duo from this particular era. I know, obviously, in 01, we get the awesome Invasion, JR, Paul Heyman, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I would recommend going back. The show that stands out to me is uh, Starcade 1990 Collision Course, uh, which is... Sting and the Black Scorpion, and a tournament to crown the tag team champions of the universe. If I recall, the event is god awful, but the commentary is good for what it is, especially with the content that they're asked to call. So we're going with Jr. and Heyman, or and dangerously, it's a pretty straight heel face dynamic. Uh, good banter back and forth. It's it's the best of what we have available. So we're sixty seven thousand strong in the Sky Dome. It's it's all. You know, full of, of people with signs and, and mullets, because it's WCW in the 90s, and yes, it's a stereotype, but I'm rolling with it because it's funny. At least I thought it was funny. And we open the show in style. Now, in the World Wrestling Federation version over on Earth Zero, we started with Robert Goulet, Canadian legend, from my understanding, singing the Canadian National Anthem with a little bit of assistance from the words on the big screen, famously. But we can't do that, because this is Earth Crock. So we're going to start with the Canadian National Anthem, as of course we would, but we're going to add some some flair. Get it? Now some flair to the proceedings. And instead of Robert Goulet, we're going to have world-renowned Canadian superstar, entertainer, and rapper Snow performing O Canada. And I think that's going to be a great start for this WCW crowd to let them know they're about to experience something different than what they usually do and what they're used to from WCW. Um I know a lot of you know Informer and you icky boom boom blam all the time. I know I do. I just hell I just icky boom boom blam on the way to work this morning. So, you know, I think it's gonna sit well with all audiences. And now that the stage has been set, it's time to get rolling with some classic matches. First up on Earth Zero, we all know that the uh the contest that starts off the show is gang uh, Gangbuster with the Ghostbuster. It's Coco Beware against the model Rick Martell. And I believe the model makes Coco tap out old school style, which was a, a tap out by shaking your head for some reason. I don't know why they just couldn't tap on the mat. I guess Ken Shamrock hadn't invented it yet uh, via the Boston Crab. Now, unfortunately, Earth Crockett is, or Earth Croc is, is down from the get go on this one, because regardless of who's in this match, it cannot compete with the fact that There will be no sweet model Rick Martel entrance music blasted throughout the arena for an obscene amount of time because of the length of the entrance. I fucking love the model Rick Martel theme song. And uh, WrestleMania six was key for individuals who liked the model Rick Martel theme song before the uh, WWF fan club cassette tapes even came out with the wrestler theme songs on it. Because this was the best version of the model theme song you could possibly get because it was super long. But we're going to try. So over on Earthrock, we're starting off WrestleMania six with something that looks great. Beautiful Bobby! That's my Gary, Michael Capetta, Beautiful Bobby. We got Beautiful Bobby Eaton, the uh, one half of uh, the Midnight Express. Uh, but, you know, he's flying solo tonight. He's Beautiful Bobby, and he's taking on... Wildfire Tommy Rich And uh so yeah, beautiful Bobby defeats Wildfire Tommy Rich. Perennial, did you know he was NWA champion for a week? Uh he's got a little bit of credibility. Kinda like how Coco Beware had a little bit of credibility. Um <clears throat> now granted Coco Beware is not the uh former heavyweight champion of the world. But at the same time, I kind of envisioned this match going the exact same way that opener went short, five, six minutes. Uh, Rich makes a mistake. Beautiful Bobby capitalizes. Maybe hits the sweet, uh, Alabama Jam. Uh, roll tight on that. Off the top rope. Gets the pinfall. One, two, three. I don't think we're going to go submission. We don't have to mirror the uh, original WrestleMania 6 quite that literally. But it's beautiful Bobby picking up what's probably going to be an easy win and a decent banger of an opener. Um, i'm not gonna give star rankings to these fake matches but i would imagine it would probably be just fine and comparable to what earth zero gave us and as we move forward this is a really fun time to bring up something that i really like about being a wrestling fan like when you find someone in your life or know someone who's a massive wrestling fan, you can kind of speak to one another in your own language uh, for example like when i was in college in one of my earliest departments they allowed people to smoke In my apartment, uh, because I myself is a smoker. Now, uh, I'm not going to recommend this to anyone, but the point of the story is that when I moved to my next apartment, a friend came in and tried to smoke and light up a cigarette, and I said, put that cigarette out! Just like that. And nobody got it. Dude just thought I was pissed at him. I wasn't really. He didn't know he couldn't smoke in the house. But when you are talking wrestling fan to wrestling fan, somebody's going to get that joke. So with that in mind, you want to talk evacuation. Fine. I just hope that my card doesn't make you feel as if you have to run to the bathroom to evacuate uh, the results that are being given. Up next is Demolition, defeating the Colossal Connection for the WWF Tag Team Championships over on Earth Zero. I mean, this moment has been spoken about ad nauseum. So let's talk about it some more. It's awesome. It's classic. You get the uh, fantastic redemption of Andre. You get the insane pop when Demolition wins. You get the proof that, you know, the Tag team Division puts some butts in the seats, et cetera, et cetera. So how do you capitalize on that over on Earth Croc or Earth Crockett? I still haven't decided. I probably said both. I don't know. I think Earth Croc is better for comedic purposes, but Earth Crockett makes more sense. I don't know. Point being. If you're going to replace Demolition and you're going to replace the storyline moment that is Andre turning on Bobby, you better best bring it. So the next match over at WCW WrestleMania 6 is the Steiner Brothers, who I think are a pretty damn good standing for Demolition. Um, honestly, I think you're going to get a better quote-unquote star-rated wrestling match with the Steiner Brothers. But you're also going to get the same level, if not more, of crowd investment. Because the Steiner brothers are absolutely over like Rover at this point in time. And, yeah, I said over like Rover. Now, who are they going to be defeating? Because, yes, they're going to win this match. They're going to win the WCW Tag Team Championships. The champions coming into this are the Horsemen. At this point in time, in my research, I came across uh, various different types of rosters that were in play at the time. Uh, The one that I'm using indicates uh, that uh, the Widowmaker – Barry Windham, not enough Widowmaker uh, talk just in history. I, I, It's kind of funny. My first pay-per-view was Survivor Series 89, so I completely missed the Widowmaker. I always thought that was kind of a cool thing, and I had the Survivor Series 89 countdown on tape uh, before Survivor Series 89, back in the old recorded-off pay-per-view days. And I remember Vince being like, Oh, Widowmaker! Barry Wyndham. And then, of course, when the show starts, it's the earthquake. You can just tell it's completely dubbed in at the last second. So the four horsemen that hold the tag team championships are Barry Wyndham and Sid Vicious, okay? Wyndham is kind of your Haku stand-in, Sid Vicious obviously being your Andre the Giant stand-in. And I don't know what happens in the match, but it ends with Wyndham sort of playing the Haku role in a sense that he's, you know, wrestling a majority of the match when he doesn't really have to. And it ends with Sid turning on Wyndham, and I guess J.J. J. Dillon, who would probably be at ringside with them. And that sort of creates an opening for the Steiners to take advantage. But I don't want the Steiners to win because of Sid. I want it to be more like a Maybe Sid doesn't take the tag or maybe he's arguing with JJ when Wyndham's finally ready to tag. And then maybe there's like a sick Frankensteiner and that's it. And he doesn't even have a chance to break up the pivot. Something that, you know, is clear to the audience that, you know, there's not only three horsemen because Sid is out of here with a face turn and the Steiners pick up the win clean. Uh, that's my goal anyway. And I think that that could probably, I mean, I mean, look, Andre the Giant is an absolute legend that you can't say like enough about in terms of what he meant to that generation so i'm not comparing the two i'm just trying to use what's at my disposal and i think this would be fun Uh, steiner brothers hit in there with Wyndham and sid and i think sid should participate at some points in time but it might be the type of situation where like maybe rick gets in a quick right hand into sid and he's like a little like Maybe he's got to clear the cobwebs for a second, so Wyndham decides to tag himself in, and Sid's like, I'm fine, I was just clearing the cobwebs, you know, or something like that. There needs to be conflict. It can't be as simple as Sid hangs out on the apron the whole time, because it's not exactly like him and Andre are in the same shape. So I've, I've beaten it to the ground. i probably talked about it longer than, you know, the first match itself would actually run on a WrestleMania card this long. But Stardust Brothers defeating the horseman, Sid uh, becomes a free agent, if you will. Pushing ever forward though. <clears throat> Excuse me. Goodness, how unprofessional of me. I'm gonna leave it in because it's my podcast. <laughs> Moving ever forward, you've got uh over there on Earth Zero, kind of a nice little squash match against a name. Because so we've got the Canadian Earthquake, or just the Earthquake, defeating Hercules. Over on Earth Croc, this is this was a fun little exercise because I think that uh I would love to see. Obviously, because that's what we're talking about, an alternate earth where this match happens, this person's WCW career takes off, and then uh we see what happens in WWF over the next twenty or thirty years. Because for our squash against the name, we've got me Mark defeating Bam Bam Bigelow. Now I think this kind of be a banger. You've got a nineteen ninety Bam Bigelow, Bam Bigelow Bam Bam Bigelow, a nineteen ninety Undertaker, for goodness sakes who was walking the ropes long before he was dead. So I'd love to know, um, you know, why that felt so special when The Undertaker did it. I guess it's because uh, the WWF audience wasn't used to things like that. So, you know, good on you, Mark. You really made that work, and you made it uh, your calling card for a wonderful career. But you get me, Mark, in here, kind of positioned like the earthquake, and Bam Bam is kind of like a Hercules in a sense that, He's a name. Everybody knows who he is. He's a former Hogan hang in honor. And having him absorb a loss probably isn't going to really hurt him in the long run because, you know, Bandit Bigelow had a unique look. You could probably push him to the mid card anytime you needed to, and it would be believable. And this gets a nice big push for me, Mark, moving forward to SummerSlam, I guess, to challenge whomever loses the main event of this show because ultimately that was the whole point of Earthquake. And Hercules. Getting Earthquake in a position where they could give him a monster push, you know, to, to sell out the arenas, basically. It's a main event anywhere in the country. So I think Mean Mark or The Undertaker for the uninitiated, defeating Bigelow in a spot like this, is a pretty good lineup, and it makes Earth Crockett feel a little bit more like Earth Zero. But that might be where the similarities end, because the next path of divergence. Is something I'm really excited to talk about, but it took me a lot of soul searching to come up with the, how to proceed with, you know, these guest segments. You've got such classic segments and, and skits during WrestleMania 6. I wasn't going to take the time to, to, you know, give every interview ahead of time because I kind of wanted it to be a surprise who's on the show. But this particular segment involves Rhoda Barrett. Now over at WrestleMania 6 on Earth Zero, this was a huge moment for me. Um, I mean, I guess for everyone watching, because Miss Elizabeth had legitimately been gone, I think, since SummerSlam, maybe. I I don't know that she was ever on camera afterwards. I would love for someone to let me know. Uh, You can tweet me at Save Martha Russo. But, you know, seeing her back with kind of a different hairstyle, looking a little older, a little wiser, that was huge. Uh, And I thought, like, it was a big late-breaking news segment and added a lot to the show overall. Now, unfortunately, it does kind of spoil her involvement moving forward in the mix tag, or it at least spoils that she's back on camera. Think about it that way. So with that in mind, I also have to spoil kind of a surprise for you all, but I'm going to keep some of it secret, and I'm going to reveal some of it, because at this point in time, we do cut to Rona Barrett. She's sitting on the cute little, you know, set up, kind of like a nice room. Uh, she's got her lovely dress on, and she's sitting down. And then the door opens and she has to stand up because this person cannot sit down, the person she's about to interview. We've got Rona Barrett attempting to interview, also someone who will be involved in our uh, mirror match of the mixed tag on Earth Crockett. She is interviewing deceased police officer Alex Murphy because we've got Robocop. And yes, I know I'm cheating but only by a month. And what I mean by that is Capital Combat 90, Return of Robocop, badass, badass moment in professional wrestling history, takes place in May of 1990. This is April 1st of 1990. We're just going to pretend that the contract that WCW and Orion Pictures had was just for a little bit earlier. They went ahead and blew their wad in April, and we've got Robocop live on the scene at WrestleMania 6. So so Robo's standing there, and he's glistening. He's got his sweet armor. I love RoboCop. Just as a side note, if anybody even cares. And Mona Bear, she's going to ask him a, l- a few questions, and he's just kind of, you know, his head's always on a swivel looking around. And, and I'm not saying this is going to be Peter Weller, the actor, because um, I believe he didn't portray him for the Capricorn combat appearance. But uh, we're going to hope that this guy can act, because he's going to have to deliver some dialogue. She says, RoboCop, what will you do if the fight tonight becomes dangerous? And he kind of looks right at her, and he goes, "Serve the public trust." And then she says, "Well, what if the match spills out into the crowd? Protect the innocent." And what happens if Cactus Jack pushes things too far? What will you do? And then you know you take a beat, and the camera zooms in. And he's like, "Uphold the law," which are famously Rebel Cops' three prime directives—the the rules that he lives by. And then he would walk out with the thud. The to, 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 you know, and uh, Rona Barrett would, you know, shoot back the camera and be like, back to you, Gorilla. But then Robocop would run back into frame and be like, you know, Rona, I just decided to focus on my work outside of the rig. No, oh, that's what Miss Elizabeth said. I hope somebody got that joke. Full disclosure, I always loved the next match when I was a kid. I don't know if it was specifically the match as much as it was the moment, the reaction to the moment, the way that the commentators treated it and what have you. But on uh, Earth Zero, of course, we all know and love, we got of Abara Beefcake defeating Mr. Perfect. This ends the streak, the original streak. Uh, Granted, it wasn't WrestleMania to WrestleMania, but of course, it was Mr. Perfect's perfect record. I thought giving Beefcake the victory was a nice way of ending it, but also giving someone something by doing it. I don't necessarily think we can blame the performers for what happens afterwards, but we're getting off topic. So, how do we update this in the Crockett Birds? How do we still make it seem important when we know we don't have something like Henning's perfect record to put on the line? It's got to be what that match intended to do an elevation without a true de elevation of the other talent. The other talent needs to hold on to a lot of what they have to offer, but this up and comer needs to have stock rising. And uh, given the roster at the time, I went through a couple of different thoughts on this one. There was a really obvious route to choose. And in the end, I think I took the one that's less chosen. Um, Hopefully I can justify why. So the WCW WrestleMania 6, our next match is the Z-Man, Tom Zink, defeating Lex Luger. Now, that's a pretty, pretty daunting ask on paper. But given when I present to you the rest of the card. I hope that you'll come to understand that Z-Man really was the best option of what is available in a sense that like Beefcake, he's that intercontinental like TV U.S. division on a, over on WCW kind of comparable. Luger's obviously like a perennial U.S. Now, whereas perfect wasn't a perennial intercontinental yet. He did have that perfect record. He had matches with Hogan. He did tour with Hogan, Saturday Night's Main Event with Hogan. So he felt elevated Almost as if, uh, I don't know, you can think of like the Intercontinental title as a 50-yard line, and but a main event program with Hogan is like the 25-yard line. And, of course, getting to the end zone is actually being the champion. If that analogy, you know, makes any sense. So you get the Z-man, you get him to, I don't know, something's got to happen. Maybe Luger runs into the post. Shocker, right? I know, hard to believe. But it's got to be some sort of scenario where maybe Luger, I don't know, goes for the rack and, um, the referee gets knocked down and Z-Man can't submit because nobody's there and perfect puts him down and then some sort of shove into the post and the breath a schoolboy. I don't know. It's got to be something that doesn't make it look like a fluke. Um, even though the perfect into the, the post was kind of a fluke. I don't know if you want to call it a fluke, but heading selling just makes it. So I don't know. Hopefully the Z-Man could, you know, stay away from parasailing for at least a couple of months in this earth and at least benefit from the push that could come from beating a guy like Luger. So we'll move on now. Sometimes, you know, it's not easy to move on. I don't even know that we've moved on as a society from the next match that happened on our earth, which was Roddy Roddy Piper versus Bad News Brown. I'm not really going to talk about it, but the goal with the Earth Crockett match at this point was to try to create something that could be equally as terrible and not for the reasons that, in retrospect, the match was terrible, but just, you know, like literally a bad uh, series of wrestling moves that is not entertaining and puts the crowd to sleep. The only problem is is that regardless of the actions that he had scheduled for himself at this encounter, encounter, as Sean Mooney would say, Roddy Roddy Piper was really over, and there's no denying that. So i got to have somebody that's super over in this match. And it's going to be the Junkyard Dog. It's going to be someone that doesn't need to be the champion or any champion. They're sort of an attraction on their own. They have a huge following. And, you know, I know JYD doesn't really back it up in the ring consistently. Uh, I mean, hell, my exposure is limited to JYD. Outside of WrestleMania three. I don't even know. i mean, let's see if I see some rant. Irrelevant. Junkyard Dog versus Norman the Lunatic. Bash and Booger himself. There's no way this match is going to be good. I would actually be curious to see how bad they could get it. Would it be so bad it's good, or is it just going to be super bad? But I am going to have it end in a double countout uh, the same way the Earth Zero match did, because there's no reason. Uh, I mean, the crowd's not going to win, so why have a winner to begin with? You know, obviously my hope is that the, that match could ascend to legendary awfulness, but regardless of whatever would happen, I do think that the next segment, does have the potential to be as legendary as the original WrestleMania 6 segment does. Instead of Steve Allen in the acoustic environment with the Bolsheviks, I mean, he's still going to be in the acoustic environment. Uh, there's no better place for a segment like this. But he's going to be with a different tag team that's going to be appearing next in a matchup. This time he's got the Iron Sheik, and he's got Abdullah the Butcher. So for some strange reason, the Iron Sheik and Abdul the Butcher have come together and become a tag team in WCW. I can't believe they're both on the roster at this point. It blows me away that Sheik was still able to walk. Uh, But at the same time, I can imagine Steve Allen and uh, Sheik getting into it in the bathroom. Hopefully, Sheik keeps it uh, PG, as uh, if he doesn't in the 90s, this segment's probably going to get taken off of any recordings or viewings you have of it in the future. But, you know, there's got to be something great. I don't know what the Iranian national anthem sounds like. And obviously we can't really get into perestroika and glasnost because, you know, that has nothing to do with Iran and the U.S. But, you know, maybe some sort of Ayatollah riff. Ayatollah and something and something and something. And how is your sister tonight? Bum, bum. The Rock and Roll Express, by the way, are going to defeat the Iron Sheik and Abdullah the Butcher in a match that's just as quick, just as much of a squash. Look, I'm not saying the Rock and Roll Express is the heart foundation, but they're an established tag team. They have a following. You know, they have good stuff, I'm sure. I'm not going to be the person you go to and say, hey give me the uh, top 10 Rock and Roll Express moments in the history of our sport because I'm not going to be able to do it. You know, I barely have any. My biggest Rock and Roll Express exposure is probably from relentlessly watching Great American Bash 91 to try to get myself uh, cured of insomnia when they actually fight each other one-on-one. But it's a squash match. It'll be quick. Hopefully it gets the crowd excited. And, uh, you know, it's been a year. If the Rock and Roll Express don't win this match, Monsoon, it's going to be a year before they're back in contention. That's my Jesse Ventura trying to do a Hart Foundation SummerSlam Championship arc storyline. So maybe uh at, at SummerSlam the Rock and Roll Express will have to go up against the uh, heel turned Steiner Brothers who introduce their third long lost Steiner brother. Actually, I'm kind of digging this storyline. I kind of want this to happen. So we got the Rock and Roll Express going over the uh, Foreign Fanatics. Even though I think Abdullah the Butchers from the states. And uh, they would use that as a definition of fort. I don't know. I've talked about this match longer than it would actually be. I'm a real big fan of this next one because it allows me to sort of fantasy book uh, sort of a complete storyline or concept a little bit deeper than just a match versus match. We all know on our Earth, eventually, Mr. Fuji, I don't know if he became like disgruntled with the powers of pain or he just needed some money to pay off uh, some of the Rock Don Morocco's drug uh, deaths. I don't know. It's possible. But he eventually got rid of the contracts of the powers of pain, split them into singles competitors, and sold one to the brain and one to the doctor's style. Uh, I've decided to adapt that storyline to sort of take up some of the matches that happened in the original Earth Zero WrestleMania six. And so here's where I'm going with this. So on Earth Crockett, Paul Ellering has a very successful tag team in the Road Warriors. But when you are as successful as the Road Warriors, what is there left to accomplish? So he severs their tag team wrestling license or decides not to renew it, whatever ridiculous concept you want to talk about, and then relicense them as individual single competitors. And so our first real view of this is here at WrestleMania six when Animal defeats in singles competition uh up and coming youngster named Johnny Ace. I don't necessarily know if these two have any chemistry together, but I have heard throughout the years that they kind of traveled together and maybe knew each other when they were younger. I'm not sure if that's uh, actually been substantiated or not. But I do think that Johnny Ace could probably bring the goods for this basically squash match. Uh, unfortunately, we are going to lose the fantastic top rope clothesline Tito flip. But at the same time, I think Animal could probably do a couple of power moves, show off for of the – uh Ontarians, Ontarioans. I apologize to everyone in Canada because I don't really know how to describe the citizens of the great province of Ontario. So I'm going to simply say that uh, if you'd like to learn more about Ontario, visit www.canada.gov maybe and uh, see what you can do. Meanwhile, though, back in the Crockettverse, Animal just beats the hell out of Johnny Ace. It's an easy victory. Paul Ellery's excited. Uh, you could pick your poison as to whether or not you want, uh, your animal to be decked out in the crazy futuristic warlo- warlo- geez, Warlord Mad Max uniform, or if you want him in a standard Road Warriors fair. I'll let you, the, uh, listener, decide. But since it is my show, technically, I mean, it is Johnny C. in the Multiverse of Fabulousness, one thing that I'm gonna set in stone is that when Johnny Ace comes down to the ring, he does come in the traditional WrestleMania 6 ring cart, But he's also on a skateboard trying to keep balance the whole time, and he can't really, uh, you know, wave to the crowd or try to get everybody popped up because he is desperately trying to stay on this skateboard without falling. I think that should probably provide a little bit of entertainment. That's going to go a long way. And up until now, it's kind of been fun and games, easier to do than I thought it was. But we're coming to a point in the card where, as we all know on our Earth, WrestleMania 6 has a couple of big marquee matches. Um, obviously the ultimate challenge, a lot's been said about this, by the way. So I don't mean to sound redundant, but the ultimate challenge is in itself the selling point. What else do you really need? WrestleMania 6 is a card that's really nostalgic, but it's full of a lot of, you know, type kind of squash matches or matches that aren't as entertaining from uh, an in-ring perspective. But there's definitely spectacle there. There are reasons that we wanted to see these matches, especially uh like Beefcake Perfect that I talked about earlier, the tag title matches. There's a, a, a grudge match coming up later. And then there's the the mixed tag team match, which is where we're at now. Dusty Rose and Sapphire with Miss Elizabeth defeating the Macho King and Queen Sapphire. Queen Sapphire. My goodness, folks. I, I should not drink before I record. The sensational Queen Sherry. My goodness. But my point is on this one is that, uh, number one, the WCW 1990 roster is devoid of all-female talent. Um, you, you know, So I can't even really do a mixed tag team match. But if you kind of step back and think about it, at least from my perspective, and I think uh, from a lot of what I've gathered over the years by listening to people like JT or uh, Scott Scrollo talk about WrestleMania 6 ad awesome, which I'm always a sucker for a WrestleMania 6 podcast, which is probably why this is my first episode, um, that the mixed tag team match is all about spectacle. It's about presenting something to the crowd that is something they can enjoy, something they can get behind. And I know it's like, wasn't that every wrestling match? Well, I mean, some wrestling matches are designed to, to just show the crowd that one wrestler is extremely dominant and move on and just keep that in the back of your mind. This match was spectacle. And entertainment, and with Dusty Rhodes and Randy Savage, are we really, really surprised? So, how do I take this roster that I have, and you know, on Earth, Crockett? Let's not pretend we don't have really storylines, unless I specifically point them out. How do we get the audience into the mood they need to be in? What do we provide them that's equal to or greater than the mixed tag team match? And I think, um, I think I've come up with something that I'm pretty excited about, and hopefully, you all feel the same too. What we've got is basically like a no-holds-barred street fight, okay? It's a three-on-two match, so it would end up being like a Texas Tornado rules or, you know, it's a no-DQ match, so tags aren't really necessary. And I think that these folks could really put on something that would be different for the time, meaning 1990. So let's not forget, in 1990, if you go through a table, I mean, that's equivalent to... The greatest spectacle in the history of our sport, if you really think about it. I mean, think about Diesel and Bread at Survivor Series. That table break, wow, it's certainly awesome and and is a great moment regardless. I mean, what did that really do to us as fans? I know to me it was like, oh my God, there's a whole other world out here that we can interact with. You know, I've been watching since 89, so for six years, all the matches were to me anyway, based on my exposure to the business. It's like, uh, you know, we go in the ring, we can get outside of the ring you get counted out if we want to, but can we really fight out there? And so, it's a three-on-two handicap tag team, no disqualification, no holds barred, street fight, any jargon you want to call it. It's the Varsity Club. That's Mike Rotunda and Kevin Sullivan teaming up with Cactus Jack taking on the ultra-mega-super babyface duo of FLYING! Brian! And the United States champion, a man called Stig. But the spectacle goes even deeper. Because those two baby faces are obviously outnumbered. And even though they're the biggest of the baby faces, I mean, you want to talk about hot, hot crowd favorites. And I'm not just talking about their sexy little tummies. I don't even know why I said that. I just thought it would be funny to do because I said that they were hot baby faces. But you can't deny it. The, uh, you know, the setup they've got going on their their body composition. Fly and Brian and Sting are too well put together, guys. And I'm not afraid to say it, uh, but they got to have backup. And I did talk about him earlier, but their backup is here. And he is the future of law enforcement. He is Robocop as a special outside the ring backup for uh stinger squadron which at this point is only seeing and flying brian and about two years before stinger squadron is even registered trademark Turner Home homeowner entertainment incorporated so my thought process here was that the varsity club wants to always obviously be the top dogs if i'm not mistaken you know they came out in their varsity coats and uh you know they were like wrestlers high school jock college jock whatever you want to call it and, and they see that they're you know, in their own minds, their own popularity isn't as strong as guys like Sting and Fly and Brian. So what do the jocks do uh, when, you know, when they're getting out jocked by guys who aren't even jocks, meaning they're not the big men on campus. They go and they find someone who's like a, a repressed, picked on person who wasn't very popular at school. A- and what better representation of that type of archetype than a man like Cactus Jack? You know they get his they get his hair slicked back they they give him a a hair tie so he's got the a, a dude love style ponytail and they get him his own varsity coat and, and you know maybe it has got a big TC on it for like truth to consequences university some sort of nonsense like that and Foley would be great here I know 1990 Foley isn't like 1998 Foley in terms of promo skills I guess I don't really know if any promos from him existed at that time I'm sure somebody can correct me on that to save Martha Russo on Twitter but you know. The best part of this angle would be that he would be so delusional, thinking that the varsity club actually recognized him as a quote unquote like big man on campus. you know all the while we know as the audience of course they 're manipulating him, but regardless of that, you know he 's a weapon that's been pointed at sting and flying and Brian, and they 've been attacking them nonstop so it all culminates here in this big confrontation, and they know that they 're outgunned, so to speak uh, they don't have backup, so of course, with the RoboCop 2 promotion coming in on board for Capital Combat back on our Earth, I've decided to take that and and make it a little bit earlier. So I know that it's notoriously difficult for the person in the RoboCop suit, whether it's Peter Weather, his stunt double, or anybody else, Joel Kinnaman, well, that's a different RoboCop suit. You know, famously, you know, it's like you can do a couple of shots and then a bunch of people have to move me into position and then we can take the next shot and do the dialogue. But I don't know how this is going to work, but I imagine Robocop, you know, coming down with the baby faces and kind of standing at ringside and being a presence. And then, you know, at one point, at some point in the match, all chaos breaks loose and, you know, maybe sting is cornered by all three of the heels um, and flying Brian's out. Maybe they, they throat dropped him on the rail or something like that. And Robocop, because it's the right thing to do to serve the public trust You know, he slides at a steel chair and Sting sort of grabs it and starts swinging it like a lightsaber and they all back off and they're afraid. And then maybe Cactus Jack realizes it was Robocop that gave it to him, breaks into a full sprint towards Robocop. And then the actor that plays Robocop will casually just move just the slightest little movement completely out of the way and fully does just that famous into the steel steps, like from Mind Games, or I don't know he's done it a thousand times with that big, big bump, taking him completely out. Uh, you know, in terms of he can't be in the fight anymore. Flying Brian Sting recover. They've got the chair. Uh, next thing you know, RoboCop has somehow gotten fully, maybe he, maybe fully stands up on his own because I don't think the guy that plays RoboCop is bending over at all. But fully stands up and he's kind of wobbly. And they had set up a table earlier on the outside of the ring. The guy that plays Robocop just needs to make the smallest amount of contact with Foley. Because, you know, he's a fucking robot. Uh, maybe he just bumps him with his shoulder. Or maybe he even just lifts his hand and kind of does a little push. And Foley just goes onto the table. Sting comes off the top to the outside with a big splash, as he's known to do. Uh, think of the, the splash off the Thunderdome cage at that Halloween Havoc. Uh, I think it's 89, maybe. And they go through the table. And they, you know, roll it back in the ring or hell, maybe they make it pinfalls down anywhere to make it even more of a spectacle and no rules type thing. And and that's the one, two, three. But it's kind of your 10 to 15 minute just absolute banger with, you know, not too crazy. This is not ECW. This isn't the mid to late 90s with weapons and stuff like that. But I mean, hell, fighting in the crowd even for 30 seconds is going to wire this this WrestleMania six on Earth Crockett crowd up to a feeding frenzy. So I think it'd be pretty cool to see. Yes, the Robocop shit is cheesy as hell, but I've got to compete with that mixed tag. So this is, this is what I've come up with. This is what I've envisioned. I think if the Robocop actor can pull off just even the tiniest bit of interaction like I've imagined, yes, it's, (laughs) it's Robocop in a wrestling match, but I think we've got something pretty damn, pretty damn fun to look at and uh, remember fondly, hopefully. Or we've got, you know, the uh, invention of wrestle crap. Either way, we're entertained. I guess the question then is, can we stay entertained? What did uh, the WWF do back on Earth Zero, Earth Prime, our Earth, to keep us entertained? I believe they put on an exhibition between the Orient Express with their badass theme song. I'll go ahead and say that. I'm not afraid to say that. I think it's a badass song. I actually listened to it the other day on YouTube. I was listening to a pod, and uh, somebody was talking about it. And, uh yes, granted, it doesn't age well, considering how often they repurposed it for other individuals on the roster, but you know i still I still enjoy it so can we can we find anything that's comparable to the rockers and the Orient Express? basically, kind of a come down tag team match to establish a tag team and you know sort of establish that there's a the uh, the losing tag team isn't going anywhere fast. and what I've come up with based on the roster, of course is the team of Doom, defeating the team of Mike Enos and Wayne Bloom. Now, I'm not the smartest guy, okay? I will admit that. I'm pretty sure I think that's the Beverly Brothers, and i got to be honest. I have no idea if they're heels or faces, and I've kind of been making up my own rules as to heel and face alignment, champions, and things like that, and just using the roster as a guide and creating my own storylines. I have no idea why Doom would be facing this team, but to tell you the truth, I'm I'm running out of pure bred like legit tag teams, and I kind of had to form one using the roster uh, because I've got teams aligned for other stuff on the card. I'm sure it would be a decent enough match. I mean, the 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 Rockers and Orient Express didn't set the world on fire. It had the shitty countout ending. I'll just have Doom finish off these guys who. Probably were younger and maybe blonde. So I guess you could pretend they're the Rockers. Maybe they could be um, the Beverly Associates or something like that. Or the... I don't know. And I can't think of anything funny to say. So I'm just going to say that Doom defeats these guys. Uh, The the brothers, non-Beverly. Fuck the count out. Let's go with like a massive power slam Doom combo move. Moving on. At this point, we've got, uh, you know the Canadian crowd on their feet with Hacks Jim Duggan and Dino Bravo. I actually kind of, I wanted to rewatch this match before talking about it, but you know, time didn't necessarily permit that, but I couldn't recall if Duggan tried to start a USA chant in the sky dome. And if he did try, did it work? Uh, I don't recall Dino Bravo being received, uh, like, a you know, getting the heroes welcome, even though they were in his homeland. Um, I did see him smoking some cigarettes in the back with some shady-looking guys, though. So I do remember that detail pretty pretty appropriately. So what do we got on Earth Crockett to, to, you know, match up with Hacksaw and Dino, two really strong brutes who couldn't wrestle their way out of a paper bag? Although I heard rumor, prey tell, that Hacksaw had some good early stuff, but I'm not going back and watching it. We've got Dr. Death, Steve Williams versus Samu who I believe later went on to become one of the head shrinkers. You know, I don't recall Hacksaw and Dino having anything going into this match. It was kind of one of those, I mean, WrestleMania 6 has, like 12, 14 matches. I mean, but to me at the time, I mean, with it being my first Mania, I was like, oh, so this is what Mania is. They just, they throw together matches with big guys, with, you know, with names, and it's cool because they actually wrestled. You don't have to have a few. To be honest with you, I know the modern product. You know, pay-per-views historically run too long to begin with, although I guess things are getting a little bit better. I I kind of wanted, always wanted some sort of middle ground where it's like, hey, we're going to randomly throw together these two people. But they can't do that anymore because those two people randomly fought on Raw for three weeks before WrestleMania uh, because we have all that content that we have to create now. But in terms of this project, Dr. Steve Williams is obviously a specimen. Samu is of the, you know, if he's of the head shrinkers who I'm thinking of and did the research on, I believe, confirmed it. I mean, we've probably got three and a half minutes of maybe a stiff match. I got Dr. Death going over with the W, um you know, just by pinfall. I, mean, I guess they could do like a, a DQ or some sort of screw job. But you got Dr. Death in there in 1990. You might as well put him over strong. And, again, keeping it short, three, four minutes, a uh, couple of stiff ones, God, maybe give somebody a little bit extra and let them get busted open with the hard way. I don't know. I'm not necessarily saying that's a, a choice. It should be made in the modern day. But back in 1990, this shit was the Wild West and nobody cared. So, you know, give him an extra 50, but give him an extra $50 in his pay bucket, as uh, Mr. Salt would say. I think it was 50. I don't know. Uh But, you know, give him some extra cash, get a little blood out there, something. We all know that uh, if anybody was doing blood back in the day, it was going to be WCW and not WWF. Although, you know, they've always done it. But, you know, WCW is probably more likely, I think, in this case and scenario, to have a little more of an old school feel to a match like this. But, you know, blood or no blood, it's Dr. Death going over in about four minutes with uh, the Oklahoma Stampede, let's say. If he can get him up for it. I just want to put this out there right now i don't know that anyone in our next contest could cut a promo as legendary as the muck of Everest. so let's 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 jettison that expectation right now because on earth crockett as a stand-in for the million dollar championship match which had a year of bill and i'm not one to admit fault just ask my wife But in this scenario, I will completely say that I'm at fault. I don't think that what I've come up with could potentially match the fervor, or the fever, the fury, the anticipation that there was for the million dollar championship match, having that sort of build up. But uh, at WWE WrestleMania six, we do have a special match to sort of try to rile up the fans and get them into this. It's a hair versus hair match. Hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert. Defeating and shaving brad armstrong's hair, that lovely candyman mullet gone forever now you got to ask yourself how does how does something like this come to fruition you know ultimately, when you look back at the main dollar man ted DiBiase, uh, Jake the snake situation, it was a it, it, it was more based around the fact that the main dollar man was i don't want to say sloppy because it's not as if he was sloppy as like a performer, but he was he was too dangerous with Jake the Snake. He, he injured Jake the Snake. He had malice malicious intent during a, a a wrestling encounter with him, and what did he do? He messed with the discs in his neck with the dream or something like that, if I can recall appropriately. So I guess let's say a year before WrestleMania Six, we've got Brad Armstrong and hot stuff Eddie Gilbert, who I don't I, I've never seen perform. Um, actually, one of the things I want to do after this is uh you know, I've always heard good things about Eddie Gilbert. I just know him from the WCW Wrestling Nintendo game, um, which was a badass game. If you're playing, I'm going to recommend you uh, team up as Captain Mike Rotunda and Hawk. They were my go-to tag team in WCW Wrestling for the Nintendo. Regardless, Eddie Gilbert and Armstrong are wrestling in 1989 on, like, a main event or pro or something like that. And, uh, you know, maybe Hot Stuff's talking to the crowd. Brad Armstrong's maybe not the highest level of talent, so he's not taking him seriously. You know, stitches in for a, a small package or something like that, and then Hot Stuff just goes crazy after the bell, after losing unexpectedly to, to Brad Armstrong, and just mercilessly beats the tar out of him. And maybe we don't even see Armstrong for like six months. And then he comes back, and they've been sniping each other, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, you know, Brad Armstrong, you know, challenges him to this style of matchup because he wants to make Eddie Gilbert, who I'm assuming if he calls himself Hot Stuff, Probably has a character that's pretty egotistical and feels that he's a, a handsome gentleman, maybe, if I could surmise. I don't know, challenges him to the hair versus hair match, you know. You know, you got the goddamn Candyman in the back on the stick, and he's like, I'm Brad Armstrong, and I challenge you to hair versus hair match, because you seem that you are the type of person who only cares about yourself. It's like you're wallowing in this this mud, this mud of greed. Instead of muck of avarice, I'm going to go with mud of greed. So he gets his head shaved, because... I don't know. I don't think that Brett Armstrong could be should be getting the push over a uh I guess pseudo legend dairy slash good performer saw Gilbert. Again, I can't really I can't really stand on that because I don't know shit about him. So uh we're gonna give him the win though because DiBiase won and he was the heel and Eddie Gilbert's the heel. So hopefully the spectacle of watching somebody get their head shaved is uh, enough to make up for it's probably a lackluster match, but I don't know who we're trying to kid here. Jake and Ted wasn't uh, very good to begin with, so we'll go on from there. We're going to go on to a match that has to do with Law and Order and the World Wrestling Federation. Because on our Earth, we had the, the Twin ta- You know what? I am not going to say that we had the Twin Towers explode. Shit, I just said it. Okay, fine. We had the Twin Towers explode when the big boss man defeated Akeem in a glorious beatdown uh, that saw the African dream pretty much erased from our television screen. And I think that rhymed and I didn't even plan it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm great. Let me tell you, <laughs> we've got a similar situation over on earth Crockett where we're going to have uh, an organization that fell apart much like the twin towers did and see if, see if you can, can follow me on this. Well, I think this will be a lot of fun. So you've got the uh, Gary Hart International, JTX Corporation sort of set up going on in WCW at the time. And I know that Terry Funk, I think, lost a flair in the late 89 when he was part of that conglomerate, maybe. And Muda's in there, and he doesn't do well at Starcade, And the corporation, or the the uh JGH International with Gary Hart, is just kind of falling apart. And the, the great Muda ends some sort of... Getting berated maybe during a promo on Saturday night. And and he's just about had enough of this because it's not his fault. Because let's not kid ourselves, the Great Mood is a fucking star. Um, and he doesn't need Gary Hart. But Gary Hart also has, according to the roster at this time, the Dragon Master. Who I did Google and then I wikied off of the Google search. And uh I don't know, let me bring him up now so I don't sound like a complete moron. But I guess he was a bit of a decent competitor. Um, this is great television, by the way, or great radio, listening to me tight. Kazuo Sakurada, and I apologize, Mr. Sakurada. I, I don't speak Japanese, but um, I'm doing – oh, and oh, and it looks like we lost him literally a year ago, January eleventh, 2020. Oh, I'm – you know, I'm going to dedicate – the rest of this podcast, I'm not saying any mean things against the Dragon Master. It's a lame name, but, I mean, come on, I'm sure WCW gave him that. It's like, I don't know, he's from Japan, call him the Dragon Master. Which, yes, sounds as shitty as it actually fucking was. Uh, he's also known as the Black Ninja, again, and the White Ninja. I mean, come on, guys, seriously, like, I don't know, man, You're you're from that part of the world, you just need to be a fucking ninja or a dragon master, or, or don't you know kung fu? Fuck that shit. Know, that's ridiculous. That uh, looks like he was in Stampede for a little bit. Um, but yeah, so so Gary Hart, and you know, it would kind of be uh, a squash, but what this would do, more importantly, is regardless of whether or not you like the big boss man, or well, you know, argue that the boss man should have won the Intercontinental title at Wrestlemania 7 or something, you cannot deny that After WrestleMania 6, the big boss man was a I mean, an easy 2B, 3A on the face roster. Uh, he was hanging out with Hogan constantly. I mean, it, it becoming a face made him a very dependable main event show, main event B show anywhere in the country. So, this is what we would hopefully do here we'd elevate Muda, make him a solidify him as a baby face, and honestly. If, you know, I mean, if this Dragon Master can deliver in the ring like we know Muda can, I, I'd kind of like to give them a little more time than the Twin Towers had. Because what is it, like a three-minute beatdown? Uh, we're not going to have Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert hide under the ring like DiBiase did to fight Muda because there's nothing there. So we lose that great little moment from WWF WrestleMania Six. But uh, having these two international superstars on a major, major show uh, – could I hope only do good things to make the sport, <laughs> the sport like I'm Tony Giovanni calling this sport, to make the uh, the show all that more spectacular and feeling special. So again, just to wrap it up, put a bow on it, unless it's too late. I've got the great Muta defeating the Dragon Master, and you know, let's say it's a good eight or nine minute match. We'll cut a little bit of match for, we'll cut a little bit of time from uh, that Johnny Ace and Animal squash, and just have Animal beat the shit out of him in a lot more quicker time than. It took uh, Barbarian to take out Tito. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but I'm a free bird. I don't know what your excuse is. But up next, it, as a stand-in for the amazing, epic, life-changing performance of Rhythm and Blues, we need to the move. We've got the Fabulous Freebirds destroying their career by performing Because I'm a Freebird and what's your excuse? Uh, that's it. Nothing else happens. I just wanted to have a musical act the same way that Rhythm and Blues came out on our Earth uh, to have on Earth Crockett. It's a waste of the Fabulous Freebirds. It takes them away from performing in a match where I desperately needed a tag team, but in honor of the project, uh, in this fabulousness of multiversitivity... <laughs> We're gonna have a musical performance at W C WrestleMania Six. It's Jimmy Jam and Michael P. S. Hayes and it's Free Bird, what's your excuse? It's not Bad Street USA, because who the hell wants to hear that when you can hear the I'm a Free Bird song. That's all I'm gonna talk about it though, moving right along to the next segment. Given that the whole theme of this uh of this podcast is the multiverse, I find it fascinating that we've got a, a real life motherfucking supervillain on the WCW nineteen ninety roster. The next match the facsimile for Ravishing Rude defeating Superfly Jimmy Snuka, which if we if we really sit back and think about it, was twofold. It was a good excuse for Steve Allen to make fun of uh, Superfly Jimmy Snuka, which we should all do more of. But it was also a way to to basically showcase Rude and let him know that he was going to be a challenger, regardless of who the champion is coming out of uh, the main event, the Ultimate Challenge. So I need something similar. But what I've decided to do is showcase. Another layer to the Paul Ellery storyline I mentioned earlier. And here's where the supervillain comes in. Don't worry, I'm not going to leave that thread hanging. We've got the newly single, because his girlfriend broke up with him, because he's just not the nicest. She said to him, hey, why do you always leave the toilet seat up? And he said, well, here's why. We've got Hawk defeating fucking supervillain himself, Ranger Ross. In a squash match, pretty much here we can get the clothesline off the top that we all know Hawk does, and hopefully Ranger Ross, Ranger Rosh or Ranger Ross—how many times can I say it in a podcast? Uh, we'll do that sweet Tito flip, but this motherfucker—I I was doing research on him because I was like, "Who is Ranger Ross?" I don't really know him that well, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This dude is a legitimate supervillain. After leaving WCW on bad terms, he later filed a discrimination suit against the organization. Now that is not a bad thing, okay. That is how it makes them real. I want to make them very clear. But at the same time, it seems like the Ranger Ross and his relationship was never on positive ground. It seems like maybe he didn't get a fair shake, and that is not cool, okay. However, what is also not cool is that in February '96, he was arrested and formally charged with bank robbery. Apparently, he had become this supervillain known as the Motorcycle Bandit, where he wore like a costume and like a a motorcycle helmet, and he would rob banks and always escape on the same motorcycle. I had no idea of this. If this podcast does nothing else for anyone, how about it gives you this bad shit piece of information that you never knew you wanted to know, that good old Ranger Ross, fucking supervillain in disguise. I want i want i'm hoping that on this earth and if i can ever return to this earth if people listen to this podcast and maybe you know say positive things about it uh you know drop a review for the north south connection anytime that you can folks Uh, it's always appreciated feedback's always appreciated as well that being said uh i want to see ranger ross take this loss personally maybe he gets injured and has to rehab and learns that you know He's more powerful than he could have ever dreamed after getting the surgery that rebuilds his neck after taking the sweet clothesline. But he becomes, you know, the fucking motorcycle bandit, and we've got ourselves a contender, if you will. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it should happen. But in the multiverse, it may have happened, and damn it, that is part of the fun. So we've got Hawk in a squash against a motorcycle bandit, and I think the crowd is probably done with these types of matches, they are ready for the main event. They are ready for the mother freaking ultimate challenge, and so am I. Before we do though, before before we can get to the main event and get everyone that release they've been craving, while I still have a captive audience, I'd like to take a second just to sort of you know mention that there's so much fantastic content at the North South Connection that's come out over the last couple of weeks, and obviously since the since the channel's inception. But at the same time, I wanted to point out uh, my buddy Ryan Gray has got the the no so WWE 2021 year end awards. Part two just dropped. Um, I know part one was a great listen. Part two is here now so we can finish out the year and move on to 2022. TNA never dies. Just came back. Fantastic episode with Jenny, JT and uh, Aaron George. Now entering the Rumble, just cover Ric Flair for God's sakes. I mean, if that's not enough to sell you on it, you should stop listening to me and go listen to that right now. Cause it's Ric Flair, it's the Royal Rumble, it's Aaron and JT, you know it's going to be fantastic. Secret Freak Comics podcast is always popping in. No holds barred. Uh, they're going back over the GWWE, AEW, you know what that means. Uh, you know, uh, the, the year in review, a lot, God, I love year in review shit give that one a listen. It was a really good one. Extreme three-way dance is here. JT's behind the connection, ruthlessly aggressive. You that was his back, for God's sake. So please, it's never been a better time to subscribe to the North South Connection Podcast Network. If you're not already, please, please do. Um, and I won't even make you listen to WCW Must Die, although I do think you should. We just had a marathon episode, and it was a lot of, lot of fun to record. But anything that you want, Lots of good content that you can listen to anytime. You know, it's, it, you're not beholden to the constraints of reality here. Um, while we may be talking about the year in review, you can listen to this stuff anytime you want because now that 2021's gone. It's not like it's going anywhere. It happened. It happened. We can talk about it anytime we want. All right. So thank you for putting up with the plugs. Uh, I only mention these things because I believe in them and I think they're very entertaining and you'd get a lot out of it. So here we are. The main event. In this altered reality, how do we compete with the ultimate challenge? I mean that's a task in itself. Even rebooking WWF to try to say to someone, hey, try to come up with something that matches Hogan and Warrior um using everything they had at their disposal, I don't know that's possible. I've tried to craft a scenario that does so, and uh fuck, it's time. Let's roll. So the main event of WCW WrestleMania Six is indeed the ultimate challenge. It is indeed champion versus champion, title for title. In the main event, Ric Flair, the WCW champion, defends against his best friend and longtime confidant, now turned brutal, brutal, Competition, enemy, whatever you want to call it, the WCW Television Champion, the Enforcer Arn Anderson. How the hell did we get to this moment? How could these guys hate each other? And how does it line up to uh, Hogan and Warrior? Well, Hogan and Warrior were forces of nature and larger than life characters in a world that's pretty much inherited, inherited, inhabited. By cartoons, and I am not saying that as an insult, but I let's just you know take a step back from a thousand feet, and we can all pretty much admit to ourselves that WWF is doing cartoon characters in a, in a lot of ways, and I think that's one of the reasons they're successful because that shit's pretty popular. WCW, while also similar, I mean they've got we just talked about Ranger Ross for like five minutes, you know whatever that was, so they they've got that type of stuff too, but. I also feel like they were always geared towards treating like what they were doing as more of a sport, as more of something that was real, as more of something that was, uh, I don't know, more respectable in the eyes of the f- – I don't know. What I'm trying to say is that I just feel like they took – they were really fucking self-serious. They treated wrestling like it was real, and WWF did too, but they were also a living cartoon, so they, they treated WCW like it was a sport. And so what I'm envisioning here is that perhaps on a the Saturday night episode where the other horsemen, because you know they're all the four horsemen, win the tag team titles. Before they do, you know the the whole team's given an interview, and and basically the concept is when this night's over, we're all going to have the gold, et cetera, et cetera. And the the interviewer goes to ask Arn Anderson a question about you know his next challenge or whatever it is, and he's he basically finishes his sentence with something like you know. Uh, do you think you're going to be able to to meet the challenge? And then he said he ends us. He ends it with champ, and then he puts the microphone, you know, kind of towards Arn Anderson's mouth. And we notice if you go back and rewatch it, that Rick Flair's kind of been like yelling at the crowd the whole time, doing his shtick, like I'm the greatest, woo woo woo. And when he hears the word champ, he kind of, you know sharpens right up and gets in front of Anderson on the mic and he's basically berates the guy. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm not wrestling that fool. You know, that guy's not worthy of being the champ. Meaning that Arn Anderson's competitor is not worthy of being the champ. And not to mention the fact that Ric Flair thinks that every time someone calls somebody champ, they got to be talking to him. And Arn Anderson's so fucking talented. I know he could play this off. You can get this moment in his eyes where he's kind of like, that son of a bitch. Somebody said champ, and he instantly thought that, and this would all be in his eyes. He's not going to give this performance yet with his words, but we'd be able to see it right there, this moment of doubt, like this moment of Anderson realizing that this son of a bitch is only really out for himself. Somebody says the word champ, they could be talking about whoever won the NBA championship, but this motherfucker hears champ, and he automatically thinks the world's talking about him. The world clearly revolves around this man. No matter if all the four horsemen walk around with all the gold, we're all going to be subservient to the nature boy, and these seeds of doubt sort of start to grow. And this would be months before WrestleMania, because long-term booking is key, right? Uh, maybe cut to them in a tag team match with miscommunication, uh, etc., just like Hogan and Warrior did on Saturday night's main event. And, and, you know, we go from there. I think we can all sort of fill in the blanks and realize that this would be a feud built upon You know, you've never respected me. I've done everything for you. It's time to decide once and for all, you know, can I be the best? Can I be as good as you? And I do feel that with a storyline that's that deep and it's rooted in these characters that are are big, big cornerstones of WCW. I mean, the Four Horsemen, Anderson Flair, even at this time, I mean, they're staples of this promotion. You turn on WTBS anytime WCW is on, and there's a pretty damn good chance these guys are going to be there. Now, I know that if you kind of look at history, Anderson would have only been there a certain amount of time. So you do kind of have to hypothesize that Anderson comes in and basically wins the TV title with his debut slash return. It's a fake earth. Give me a little bit of caveat here. I got to go with what the roster is at the time. But, but and let's not kid ourselves. Regardless of whether or not we can make it work with the timing, and this is a fucking fantasy, so we're going to go with it anyway, you know these guys can put on the match. You know that they can do it. It's different from Hogan and Warrior. It's not a spectacle because it's these larger-than-life gods, cartoon characters, comic book heroes, superheroes come to life, battling in the middle of front of everyone, These these titans titan sports maybe that's where they got it from but it is a story of friendship of long-term characters of people that we know about we we i mean how you see a picture of arn anderson right now and it, there's a story there. It's a story that tells the picture that tells a thousand words all the ups and downs all the travels all the everything the scissors everything i don't know why i said scissors well i, I know why i said scissors but it's irrelevant it's just trying to be funny but the point is, is that these guys could really Really, really bring the house down, I feel like. And in the end, it would be a clean finish. I want to make that clear. But to just sort of solidify it. And, and, and what's also cool about this WrestleMania six for WWE is that they come out of the night looking like an entirely different promotion because the horsemen have exploded. There is, there's no continuity here amongst these guys anymore. I got to believe that, you know, if it looks like Flair's in danger, that Wyndham's going to come down and J.J. Dillon are going to come down and try to protect him. Uh, Sid is not going to let that happen. There's actually going to be a little bit of interference in this match, but it's only going to be contained to the aisle. Sid is going to basically throw them back and then kind of stand there and block the aisle to make sure no one can interfere. And while Flair may be a little out of sorts about this, it's not related to the finish. Somehow, someway, Anderson is going to walk out of here with all the gold. You have to do it because WWF did it. It's my project. Uh, my goal is to mirror everything as much as I can. Anderson's a new champion. He's a new WCW champion. He's a television champion. Perhaps he would have to declare the WCW television championship in advance. I don't know what's going to happen the next week on WCW programming because that's not a part of the show. But that banger of a main event, this ultimate challenge, this division destruction of the horsemen is going to put a bow on our grand experiment that is WCW WrestleMania Six. I do think it would be a hell of a match. Um... And, and I hope that it lives up to the expectations that everyone had because, you know, trying to take down that ultimate challenge is a fucking task. But I do think that in spirit, in spirit, this WCW WrestleMania 6 has captured the essence of what the WWF WrestleMania 6 was. And that's really the best that we can hope from because, you know, even though Earth Crockett is its own thing, it is a, a, a shadow, a reflection of Earth-Zero. And it's not real. But we could pretend that it is just for this fun podcast. And that's all we've got for you. I really appreciate you all listening. I hope that you had a great time. I had a lot of fun doing this project. I'd love to get, uh, you know, moving forward some other fun stuff in here. Maybe get some guests in and do some some battle-style episodes where we each compose our own list ahead of time and then maybe try to argue with one another in a fun way, of course. In a way that promotes humor and creativity not in a negative way uh, about whose card is better and you know maybe try to build one on the fly sometime like uh jt and his guys do with those like go to wrestlemania cars i always love listening to those podcasts so you know if there's a demand for that we can get that in here i just i really appreciate you all coming with me on this experimental journey of fabulousness and uh you know i hope that you have a good rescue day thanks for listening to us check out all of the content the north south podcast as i had mentioned and just stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, do what you can to be nice to someone if you meet from another Earth. Because uh, if they're displaced, it's not their fault. They just fell out of the multiverse like those other two Spider-Men did. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a great one.